First scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. You can follow along on page 10 of the Old Testament or in the bulletin. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The word of the Lord. Uh, remain seated and hymn, sing hymn number 287, Gracious Spirit, Hear Our Pleading.
Amen. You notice uh, that whole section of the hymnal we're in is uh, we rarely go there, once a year, pretty much, uh, all these songs about the Holy Spirit, and you'll note that a lot of them are what we call bidding songs, inviting or pleading with the Spirit to come, invoking the Spirit as uh, almost like asking air to be present so we can live, so we can be alive. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Gracious Spirit, hear our pleading. Our second reading this morning is the story of the giving of the Spirit to the church. It's not the first time the Spirit shows up in Scripture. The Spirit begins at the very beginning. Uh, Bereshit, Genesis, right there in chapter 1 of the first book of the Bible. The Spirit hovers, merakethets, is this weird Hebrew word that's only used once. No one really knows exactly what it means. Merakethet is how sort of Americanized pronunciation of it. it sort of hovers over the tovu wavohu, the, uh, the firmament was how, how it was translated in the King James Version, uh, the sort of chaos, disorder, and the Spirit brings order and life, and here in the second chapter of the book of Acts, Luke's second volume, in the New Testament, we see the Spirit once again bringing life, because that's what it does. Listen now for what it, the Spirit, is saying to you and to the church this morning. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability." Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound, the rush of that violent wind, a crowd gathered and was bewildered because each person heard the disciples, the followers of Jesus, speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not these who are speaking Galileans? So how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes, by the way, were converts, Gentile converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear these Jesus people speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Oh God, we've already really sung the prayer of illumination, so gracious spirit, hear our pleading. Amen. <clears throat> the seminal Christian story, the birth story, the birthday story of the church always reminds me of one of my favorite stories. Some years ago now, a friend of mine was the pastor of the Leonia Presbyterian Church, the Reverend Deke. Spearling, up by the George Washington Bridge. 
He's not there anymore, but the church still is, Leonia Presbyterian Church. But one time my friend Deke asked me to come up and have lunch with him up there, and uh, we decided to find a restaurant that he'd never been to, just kind of explore, and we found a little Korean restaurant. Uh, and it was a small place, but we looked in there, and there were a few other people there, and they all seemed like they were Korean, so we figured we found the right kind of Korean restaurant. That's all you know. Uh, it's going to be pretty good. And in fact, it was delicious. Uh, in fact, the food was so good and so authentic, nobody there spoke English. Everything was great, tasted wonderful, and we talked and we laughed. Everything was going along beautifully until we finished lunch. And then suddenly the server, we called them a waiter back in those days, uh, brought these two bowls of clear liquid and put one down in front of each one of us and then smiled and bowed. And we looked at him and said, you know, what is this? And he smiled and bowed. And we, we kind of hand gestured. And he smiled and bowed while he was backing up, and pretty soon he was gone, and we were left with these two bowls of clear liquid right in front of us. And we didn't know what they were for. We didn't know if we were supposed to put our fingertips in there or drink it. We didn't know if it was to wash our hands or if it was dessert. We had no idea. And so we stared at each other and tried to solve the problem talking it through, and it just, we couldn't figure it out. Uh, and we started kind of, you know, rolling our eyes and laughing. And then we, suddenly we looked over and just behind the door to the kitchen was our waiter, the cook, and the owner. They were picking up, and they were laughing at us too. Eventually it turned out it was dessert. We had, we had no idea. It took us another 30 minutes. We could have been done 30 minutes earlier. But because we couldn't communicate, it took a little while to figure out what was going on. Have you ever found yourself in a situation, have you ever been in a foreign country where you just couldn't communicate? Like uh, Alabama, for example. I mean, oh, you know. Uh, where you couldn't connect with another person. Communication is work even when you can speak the language. And it's not just because of dialect differences. When I was a college student, I lived and studied for almost a full year in what was then called West Berlin with the Berlin Wall around us. And I had taken German for about 10 years before I went. So I was pretty good. I could, I could hang. Uh, and I got better and better when I was there. But I took a break uh, over Christmas that year, 84, 85, and went to England for two weeks. And guess what? English was a lot easier. <laughs> I remember looking at billboards and like just I could understand it without like concentrating and trying to figure out like what tense I was dealing with and what case and it was such an easy way and time for just understanding and communicating. Thinking about the difficulties of communicating across language barriers brings us to both of our scripture stories this morning. That difficulty, that challenge we human beings have connecting with one another really is the foundational theme in both stories today. In the first one, from Genesis, we hear the story, the famous story of the Tower of Babel. Once upon a time, as this older text from the, from the Bible goes, the whole world spoke the same language. That was how the world was created, according to this 
story from Genesis. That was God's desire, that is God's desire for all humanity. Perfect understanding. Being able to express oneself as a person of worth and value and to be heard and to listen to one another. But we humans, according to the 11th chapter of Genesis, thought, as we still do, that we knew better than God, that we had a better plan. Turns out that in God's original intention, humanity was scattered across the earth, but what bound us together was this common language, this sense of understanding each one of us and ourselves as human beings. And that's one of the great things, I think, about traveling. You discover when you go overseas somewhere that these folks who don't speak your language and don't worship like you and definitely don't eat like you, uh, they are just like you nonetheless. That's the power of travel. And that was really sort of like the Garden of Eden across the entire earth, right? In this Genesis story that we're reading today from chapter 11 of that first book in the Hebrew uh, canon. We decided we knew better than God, we humans. We didn't want to be scattered all over the earth. We wanted to come together and unite. And so they did, our ancestors, built a high tower. You know, you know, the, you know that the uh, Freedom Tower is technically, if you live in New York and New Jersey, taller than what used to be called the Sears Tower in Chicago. But if you live in Chicago, it's not. In Chicago, the Sears Tower is taller. And you know the reason why? Because we decided here, of course, that that antenna on the top of the Freedom Tower is part of the building, right? You know, because it's, 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 it, we found an architect who would say that, I guess. And it's always these competitions, right? Um, well, that's kind of what happened. This high tower was constructed, and began, they began uh, erecting this, this symbol of their greatness, their, our own human ingenuity, hard work, our vision. The text tells us that they wanted to build this tower to earn praise and make them powerful enough together to defy God's intention for, for life, for the earth. There is always strength in numbers. Let's pause here now for an important advertisement from our sponsors I think it's important to understand really anything in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, that we have to come to grips with these first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis, what we call the antediluvian text, pre-flood stories, right? They're so old, nobody was there to write down what was happening. And there's a great debate within the Christian world, let alone beyond it, about whether they're true did they happen that way? Was the world created in six days? Did God take a rib from Adam and create Eve? Those are, you know, was there a flood? Was there an ark? Why isn't the unicorn on the ark? Those are all questions. Well, those first 12 chapters of Genesis can be read literally as true, they also can be read in another way as true, as identity-creating stories. And so here we have what we call, in the strictest, most positive sense of the term, myth, right? Stories that explain why we are 
the way we are. Okay, advertisement's over. We humans wanted to unite, but the sad tragedy of that story here in the 11th chapter of Genesis is that they were already united. They didn't realize they already had what they were looking for. That is our problem, isn't it? So we see in this first reading the same tragic through line that goes through all those first 12 chapters of Genesis, right? Adam and Eve made the same mistake. They had everything they needed, but then they listened to the voice of the serpent, this talking snake, literally true, but very true, right? Who told them, don't worry, you're not going to die if you eat that fruit. You will be like God. You'll be able to big, build a big tower on your own. You won't need God's help. And in fact, that's what they did. And the story tells us that's why the world and we are the way we are. Of course, in the Babel story this morning, the people try to build this tower, but it ends up crumbling to the ground. People end up being scattered just as God had intended in the first place, but with one major difference. God, whose feelings were hurt by us trying to sort of take God's place, intervened and scrambled their language. The text says confused their language. And that's how we got to where we are today. The difficulty we have communicating with each other. This origin myth explains why we human beings have evolved different languages, certainly, but even more true, it explains why we have and live in this from its perspective, why we have so much tension, so much hatred, so much bigotry, prejudice, discrimination. We don't listen to each other, and therefore we don't allow each other to express ourselves authentically, and it is a problem. If you've ever been in a family or situation or a relationship where you can't communicate, you know how heartbreaking it can be. Sometimes the problem really isn't the language we're speaking. Sometimes we're all speaking the same language, but we're just talking past each other. Or we're just waiting for the other person to stop talking so we can start talking. We're not really listening to each other. That's really because what we're saying and what we're hearing is filtered through all of these different emotions, fatigue, memory lapses, different understandings and perspectives on what has happened, resentments, preconceived notions, defensiveness, how we was raised, as we used to say, self-centeredness, all these things keep us from being connected and make, can make us feel alone in a crowd sometimes. And so, like those first humans, like our ancestors who were just like us, when we let our anxieties about this situation get the better of us and we feel the need to control things and to fix things, we start to sort of act like God in certain situations and construct something that's going to save the day and that's when things go sideways and the walls come a-tumbling down. And indeed, the unfinished tower in this story is named Babel, which is kind of interesting. It's a word that sounded a lot like the Hebrew word balal, which means confused. We human beings are a confused race. And again, this is an identity story which tells us why we are the way we are. We are scattered to the winds. Sometimes we are far apart, even when we're right next to each other. We are 
so often isolated. Our second story is, as I said, from the book of Acts, the New Testament story of Pentecost, the birth of the church. We've got tongues of fire, but the real miracle of that day is communication. It's the communication, the understanding, the being understood that gives birth to the church of Jesus Christ. Fifty days after he died, and some said was raised, these Jesus people were laying low, hiding out. Once again, they were all kinds of foreigners, Jews from different places in the great city of Jerusalem to be at the temple for the festival of Pentecost. Everybody was there, but they couldn't talk to each other. And then suddenly, those tongues of fire landed on those early followers of Jesus, and everybody understood them, and everybody felt understood, no matter where they came from, wherever, where their perspective was, was uh, coming from. It was like a giant concert. My daughter just went to Taylor Swift. She said it was wonderful. I don't think I could take it. Uh, I don't want to hear about ex-boyfriends for three hours, but she said it was awesome. Everybody together, bound together by music. That's what music does. That's why music is such a symbol, metaphor for the Spirit of God. And it's a miracle every time it happens, isn't it? You walk in with all these strangers. I go to concerts, Eagles, I think I've said, and every time I go there, it's filled with old people, but I don't care. I don't care that they're in their 60s. I think of myself as in my 20s, but I'm going to have fun anyway because we're all together. And then they're looking at me the same way, by the way. Um, that's what art does for us. That's what beauty does for us. The truth behind all of it is the spirit of life which comes from God. And it's a miracle every time. But the big miracle in Pentecost, are you paying attention? The real miracle of the birth of the church is the undoing of Babel. That's what Jesus and his spirit do. We humans once was lost, but now we're found. We were blind. We couldn't see each other, but now we can see. The undoing of Babel. We found each other again, and all because of a giant windstorm. Whoosh. The Hebrew word for wind sounds like wind. Ruach. Especially if you've ever been in a hurricane. I, one of the places we lived was on the water in Florida, and we would have these hurricanes come through, and my father, the helicopter pilot, he got to leave because he had to, they had to fly those helicopters out of there. So it was my mom and two little kids boarding up the windows, putting water inside of all of our trash cans. We had a boat. We had to take it out of the water, fill it up with water so the wind wouldn't blow it away. It was 23 feet. It was a big boat. Hiding in the bathroom while this wind pounded on us. That happened a few different times. My dad was never there. Courageous. He got out of Dodge. And we just stood there and, and dealt with it. One big windstorm. And again, as I said to the kids today, it's fascinating that in our Christian story, wind is a unifier, a binder, a reconciler, rather than a destroyer. Because wind usually brings chaos and destruction if it's really strong. It feels good for a while, but if it keeps going, you've got to batten down the hatches, literally. We say that things are scattered to the wind, and we can't find them anymore. 
We can't bring them back together. We say we throw caution to the wind when we decide not to be cautious or safe anymore. Wind is very powerful. You can't control it. As Jesus himself said, you don't know where it's coming from and you don't know where it's going, but you know it when you feel it. It's like the two farmers who were arguing about the strongest wind they'd ever seen on their farms back and forth. Out here in California, said the first farmer, I saw the fiercest wind in my life. You know, those giant redwood trees? Well, the wind once got so strong, it bent those trees right down, flat onto the ground. That's nothing, said the other farmer. Back on my farm in Iowa, we had such a terrible wind one day that it blew 100 miles an hour. It was so bad that one of my hens had her back turned to the wind, and she laid the same egg six times. Now, that's a mighty wind. It is a destructive power. In fact, it's probably the wind. Wind is probably how God knocked down that Tower of Babel. When I first got a job out of college, I worked on the 57th floor of a high-rise in San Francisco. I get motion sickness so badly that when, when there were these high winds, even though you couldn't really feel it, I would turn green and start sweating because the building was going like this, apparently. And my boss would come in and go, you got to get out of here because you're about ready to throw up. And I'm like, thank you, bye, and I'd get out of there. Which is why I never followed in my father's flight pattern. Wind probably blew down that big tower, but our wind today does exactly the opposite. The question is, what, what do we do when we find, discover that kind of wind, that spirit of God, which creates rather than destroys, which binds together and reconciles rather than splits apart. Because people have their lives changed by that kind of wind. If they let it, if they let themselves be changed when the Holy Spirit blows into their lives. What is the power of the Spirit putting back together in your life? When all the king's horses and all the king's men, and even all the king's women can't put it back together again. Only God can do it. What is the Spirit wanting to do in your life? Charles Swindoll, a famous Watergate guy who went to prison and found Jesus, and probably actually did. Um, and that's, that's a lot for me to say that. <laughs> uh, tells about a bazaar, not, a, not something that was bizarre, add an A, a bazaar that was held in a village in northern India that he visited one time. Everyone uh, brought their wares to sell and to trade, and one old farmer brought in, uh, Swindoll related, a whole covey of quail, and the farmer uh, had tied a string around the leg of each bird, and then all the strings were tied together loosely kind of connected so the birds could walk, and they had, he had a stick that he was holding, and, and he had taught the birds, this farmer had, how to walk dolefully around in a circle like mules at a sugar mill or a grist mill, just kind of in a circle. And nobody seemed interested in buying these birds that were tied, tied together until a devout Brahmin came along because he believed in the Hindu respect of all life, no matter how low an animal might be or how useless it might be considered. Uh, this man had compassion in his heart for these poor little 
quail that were walking around in these monotonous circles. He goes, I want to buy them all. And the merchant was confused, but happy to get the money for all of the quail at once, right? One quail sell, sale, a quail sale. And with the shrug, the farmer said, okay. And he bent down and he snipped the strings of each one of those quail off of each of the legs of, one of, the, of every one of the quail. And they were free at last. But what do you think happened? They kept walking around in a circle. They were free, they were unfettered, they were released, but they kept living as if they were still tied down. And so many of us in the church, not just outside of it, are like those birds. We try to be good people, we try to live good lives. We trust in God but we're still marching around in circles. We find reasons not to fly, to take risks. We don't allow ourselves to feel God's presence enough to take off, to be vulnerable, to soar. We don't let ourselves really hear the sound of that violent, life-changing wind blowing. Again, that through line running through human history and human identity. We hear about it first way back in Genesis and all the way through Scripture. I want to end this morning with a story, an illustration from Anne Lamott that goes way back into the early 80s. This is back in the time of the AIDS epidemic running rampant. Um, I was there, had friends, of course, I lost like many of you. And uh, that was back in the time when a lot of people were afraid to touch or even be around anybody who had the virus. Um, I remember going with a friend of mine to Harlem Hospital in 1988 into the, what they called the AIDS pediatric ward, and we would volunteer just to hold babies and rock them uh, because their mothers were dead. And we did it a half a dozen or so times, and it was a very meaningful experience, but there were grandmothers from Harlem who did it every day for children who weren't their, their own, and those children were not going to live long, and they didn't. But those grandmothers came every day to make sure those kids, for the time that they were here, felt loved, felt cared for. In this story, uh, this is a story of a black woman, Christian woman, with a certain raise, with a certain attitude toward folks who in the 80s tended to get AIDS, and a young white man who was dying in the hospital for AIDS, but she volunteered in that hospice part of the hospital and after a while, they built up this amazing relationship. And here's Anne Lamott's story of the very end of his life and their time together. She held him next to her, and he was draped over and against her like a child. And together they sang. And the black woman and the man with AIDS, of whom she had been so afraid, were trying to sing. But instead, they both began to cry. Tears were pouring down their faces and their noses were running like rivers, but as she held him up, she suddenly lay her face against his, put her black weeping face against his feverish white one, put her face right up against his, and let all those spooky fluids mingle with hers, and hers with his. And then Lamotte comments that she didn't know if what had happened was an honest-to-God little miracle, but that for her it was plenty of miracle all she needed. And of course, Lamont says, that's all any of us really needs, is a little miracle 
like that, the miracle of Pentecost, the undoing of Babel. That's what the Spirit of God can do for us if we'll let it in our lives, in the life of any church, in the life of this church. And though we've all had way too much experience with our inability to communicate clearly with others, our misunderstandings, our disagreements, our resentments, we also have the hope that Christianity holds out before us, that the love of Christ, alive and blowing in the Spirit, can break through and break down all these separating barriers and give all of us abundant life. Amen.